Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest, not only to cover his career, but to cover uh, just Manitoba volleyball in general, where we had Eric Lepke on the show, but now we've got a, a Manitoba legend that can hopefully fill us in on some more players. So today's guest played 13 years for Team Canada. Six of those, he was the team captain. He played 10 years overseas in Spain, Austria, France, and Qatar. He's a two-time CIS champion. He was a CIS player of the year. Uh, he's in the Manitoba Volleyball Hall of Fame and has started his coaching career and he's already been on staff with our senior women and has coached our women's junior national team. So please welcome to the show, Scott Kosky. Scott, thanks for doing this. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. It's awesome. So Scott, you growing up in Manitoba and choosing to go to uh, Manitoba, what kind of went into your like high school and club process and what made you want to go play for Garth? Yeah, well, the, uh, the high school and club process is... Uh, as we know it today, it was a lot different back then. Um, you know, high school was was really the thing, especially here in Manitoba. And there were, I would say, a small handful of uh, of boys' clubs, um, and by small handful, I mean probably less than six, um, where you had the opportunity to go and play. So um, you you looked a lot to the local universities, um, Winnipeg and Manitoba to uh, learn a little bit about the game and, and figure out where you might want to go beyond high school. Um, it was quite a while ago, so pre, uh, pre-internet. And uh, you know, if you wanted to leave the province, you had to uh, contact somebody by phone or, or get a package in the mail. So uh, for a lot of the local guys, you know, sticking around town, that was where all the best players were all the time. And, and that's where a lot of the processes uh, started. Um, for us, you know, we were really lucky here in Manitoba to have probably, you know, one of the best to, to ever play the game, you know, right here in our backyard at, at Manitoba. And um, at that time, Garth was, you know, early into his career at, at U of M. And they've had, uh, they had a tremendous run. A lot of tremendous players went through there. Uh, consistent results at nationals every year. So it wasn't really a hard decision to, to make that drive down to U of M and the intimidating sit in the chair with uh, with Coach Pischke and trying to figure out where you fit in and what you might or, or might not be capable of doing somewhere down the road. Nice. And uh, in, in talking to a friend of the show, Mike Chumley, we were kind of debating about who's the best CIS team of all time. And you having two CIS championships, uh, the one we kind of wanted to talk about was your fifth year. If you could just kind of fill us in what that season was like. I believe you're teammates with Jules Martin, I think Steve Walsh. Uh, I've been told to ask about Cron. Apparently he was a heck of a middle and just the, the depth you guys had on that team. So if you had to kind of stand up and, and debate your own team, would you say that team is in the running as one of the best teams that Canada's seen at the university level? I would say so. Um, yeah, we had, you know, the number of the guys that you, you mentioned there on that team. We had uh, we had Jules Martins and, and Steve Welch uh, kind of on the right side and Sort of left side, Andy Zdrowski, Garrett Cod, uh, Trevor Dimitrik in the middle, uh, Ken Cron, who was an outside hitter, and moved into the middle. Yeah, we had a real, you know, we, we had that, that group there of uh, our six starting guys. And, you know, sometimes Steve was, was the guy coming off the bench, and, and he had been at, uh, in Calgary training with the national team for two years. So it was. Uh, it was a really special group and, and a really deep group. And uh, the the season prior, we we were we were pretty solid. Uh, made it all the way to the national final in Boston, and we were 
extra motivated uh, in that following year to to really let everybody know uh, kind of what we were capable. And really, right from the right from the beginning, right from the the first uh, the first days of training camp in, in August or September, you know, we, we knew that we could be good, and, and we wanted to prove that every time we stepped on the court. So it was uh, that year was was quite a ride. Yeah, and just talk about the leadership group, whether that's yourself or it came from Garth, how, how you just mentioned that uh, Steve could be a national team caliber player, but it was coming off the bench. Like, how did you guys keep everybody engaged um, to kind of buy in that you guys could get this done and you were a special team? Because it, it can't be easy knowing that you're at the highest level and you're not even starting on your own university team. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but I think we had to benefit, you know, back then. Uh, the leagues were, were different. I know Canada West was was five teams in our conference uh, GPAC was was three teams and uh, so the bulk of our schedule back at the time was uh, we played a lot of tournaments uh, so we were always traveling uh, you know our schedule like our, our conference schedule back in those days I think matches uh, four against Regina and four against Winnipeg and and then the rest of the time, we would, you know, kind of travel across the country. And at that time, universities used to host uh, eighteen tournaments, sometimes twelve team tournaments, and so we were going all over the place and, and you know, testing ourselves against the best every weekend. And uh, you know, similar to a club tournament, when you, you know, you pop in and you're playing four or five matches in a weekend, you you needed a deep group uh, to be able to do that. So uh, I think that really strengthened the group that we were able to roll out uh, those kinds of lineups uh, everybody got some meaningful playing time in the meaningful matches and and you know no question a bunch of guys had to kind of check their ego because when it came right down to it at, at nationals uh, you know only six hit the floor but but we were pretty confident in whoever was out there and if things weren't going we had somebody else that could that could jump in and, and just kind of keep things rolling so um yeah, it was uh, it was a real special group, and, and I think because you traveled so much, and, you know, we spent so much time on the road together that you know we really developed a, a tight tightness as a group, which is something that you you know you absolutely have to have if you're going to accomplish great things. Fans in Ontario, we were treated to uh, a U.S. Canada like a Can Am event this winter, and I know uh, the Calgary Dinos had the Dinos Cup, and it wasn't unusual for U of A to host it, and you kind of touched on it there that you would play in a lot of tournaments, so. In your era, is it fair to say that men's volleyball in Canada was on par or, or even better than the NCAA at that time as well? Because uh, I've heard you guys played a very good UCLA team, and you actually uh, beat them when they had Jeff Nygaard and a few other guys on that squad, right? So it doesn't sound like it was unusual for you to play against Americans and do quite well. Yeah, we had a lot of close uh, relationships. I mean, Garth had a lot of connections with those guys. Uh, and a lot of the, the top U.S. college coaches, Jim McLaughlin there, and uh, and Al, uh, Al Skates, and down at UC Santa Barbara. So we, we quite often, we would go down to, to UC Santa Barbara. And, you know, we would play the UCLA's in uh, Santa Barbara. We had uh, USC, uh, Brian Ivey, another name from, from way back, Dan Greenbaum, Olympic setter. They came up and played in our old Bison Gym. Uh, uh, Penn State, when they were right at the top of their game, we had a, a great relationship with them. Uh, they would come to our tournament. We played them at York. We played them... Uh, out at their place uh, and yeah I mean it was uh, the, the top teams in Canada the top teams in the US were, were right on par and we had some great battles with uh, with all of them and, 
uh, even at that time, was just a little bit different style of, of play. Uh, different things were, uh, were kind of brought into focus. Um, we played uh, a few times against Lloyd Ball at uh, Indiana Purdue Fort Wayne. So it was it was really cool, you know, to see some of these guys that could play the game at a really really high level and know that that we were right there with them. And I think that continued to motivate us to drive and, and keep going forward. So you you mentioned earlier with an era that didn't have social media and YouTube and it wasn't as accessible. So if you were to kind of participate in this debate we're having about who's the best university team, what are some things you think we should consider? Um, obviously, you guys had a lot of athletes who would go on to represent Canada on the national team. You were you were dominant in league play and with some NCAA's. Is there anything else that you would consider that if we were going to try to narrow this down, what should fans kind of look for to know that uh, you know this era was on par with you know maybe the current Trinity team or some other teams over the years? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think that's I think that's one one place to start, right? You know, how are you relative to to the best competition? You know, how often were you testing yourself uh, against the, the best teams out there and and what is the or what is or what was the, the gap between uh, between yourself and uh, and the rest of the country right the other the other teams that were I guess chasing you so to speak and um, yeah I think you can see some sort of similarities like the year that we uh, that that year that you're talking about the 95 year when we played Laval in the final, Pretty sure that was about the, maybe the fourth or fifth time that we had played them that year. Uh, you know, we went to a lot of different tournaments. We played uh, Dalhousie in the semifinal, and you know, we we played them quite regularly. Uh, year prior, there was a lot of good Alberta teams and good Calgary teams. So I think that was, you know, that that's to me that's key, right? How often are you playing the good teams? Uh, are you consistently beating the good teams? And, and what's the overall gap between some of the things that, that you can do uh, relative to your competition? And you know, we uh, watched a lot of the a lot of film this year of uh, of the U Sports men, and you know, you watch the way that uh, that Trinity plays, and, and those guys just play the game at a different level. Uh, like they're doing things that that other teams can try to do, but but they're not really able to do them. And, uh, and I think that's one of the characteristics that, that we had, like we were able to do some things that other teams just couldn't do. Um, now, and we had the benefit, I think, here. Well, I don't know if you want this benefit. Sometimes the games were really long, but <laughs> the team we were still playing in the in the side outscoring system. So, um, you know, I was looking with my son the other day at some of our old scores, and you know, in fifteen two, fifteen five. No, not only. We, you had to you had to be good on both sides of the ball uh, back then, right? Because uh, you know the other team would, would make an error. Uh, maybe that that didn't always get you the point. Right? So, so it's hard to compare, but I think you know the, the overall record and, and that you know what can you do relative to, to everybody else that you're playing against. Nice, yeah. Thank you. Well said. So, with you choosing to go play for Garth at Manitoba. Did you have national team dreams, or did it take getting to university to know that you could play at the post-secondary level? Like, when did pro and national team become a reality for you? Well, yeah, I mean, I didn't have any uh, expectations or uh, thoughts of that uh, entering university, and I think it was probably not until maybe year three, possibly in year four, maybe, where I started uh, thinking that I could actually be half decent at the sport. 
there, I think it was around about my third year, I was invited to try out to uh, kind of to a B-team camp, and uh, so I went out and got a bit of an idea of what next level volleyball was like, and, and then that kind of sparked uh, sparked the, the growth, I guess, for the next couple of years. Um, I think that was also one of the, you know, the good, uh, or the real maybe benefits of having that strong group is we had a, when you're surrounded with other good players, you know, you see what those guys get motivated to do. Um, you know, and for me, when I started there in Manitoba, we had guys like, uh, like Dale Alanoshko, who was, you know, had been on a B team and guys like Keith Sanheim, Steve Welch, who had you know, moved on to, to national team level. So they started to show us a little bit about what was possible to do. Um, but yeah, myself personally starting there, I was a redshirt player. Uh, my recruiting meeting was, you know, really short, basically, you know, I said, uh, you know, coach said to me, well, I, I hear some, some good things about you, but I don't really know that much about you, so if you want to come and practice, you now you can shag some balls and learn a little bit about the game and work hard and, and see what happens. Um, so from that kind of honest, sort of humble beginning, that was uh, really something that I learned early from, from Garth, is that anything that you're, you're going to accomplish, you're going to have to work for, um, and then that just kind of kept it going forward. Um, after I got that bit of an opportunity there in, in year three uh, to try out, and then in year four uh, I went to try out again and didn't make it. And in year five, actually, we uh, it was a Fichu Games year, and I went uh, to the tryout uh, basically because you had to attend the senior team tryout before you could try out for the Fichu Games team, and. Uh, the Fisher Games team was my actual goal that summer. And then at the, uh, at the senior tryout, he was the coach at the time. He uh, said, well, we, we like what we see here. We'd like to keep you around. And then we'd like to send you down to the B team for the summer and then bring you back to the A team. And, and that's how the table was set for that run. So at each uh, each of the levels, I think it was unexpected at the beginning. You know, I, I can't say that I aspired to, to do what I did, uh, but I did learn that the things that you need to do to get to those places. And then once I figure out I, I wanted to go there, I, I had the I had the skills in place to, to take me there. You mentioned some role models that you had ahead of you. I'm wondering if you had any Dale Imarashko stories, because it just sounds like he was a high achiever as far as being a great player, a great student, that anyone who ever met him seems to speak highly of him. Is there any, maybe a Dale story or anyone else who stood out as kind of like a, a vet who kind of showed you the way when you first got there? Yeah, well, I mean... For volleyball at uh, Manitoba at that time, it would have to be it would have to be Dale. Um, the I mean, there were, there were a lot of real good guys at that time. There was uh, uh, we were going to that gym. I'd already mentioned Keith and Steve, but uh, you know guys like Peter Strolius. We had uh, Danish guys, Soren Pedersen. We had Dale. We had lots of great guys, but Dale was the one that kind of stood out above everybody just by what he was able to do on the court and, and in the classroom. He was, uh, same thing, such a driven guy. Uh, he would, at the time, he was in med school, so you'd, you'd come in from your classes, and he would have driven, you know, from downtown campus to the, the Fort Geary campus, and he'd be lifting weights and reading his book when he's uh, riding the bike, and then he'd get into practice, and then he'd be back in the books. And uh, he just demonstrated everything that that you need to do to be successful in 
basically any area uh, of your life. And he didn't really have to say anything. He just did it. If you watched him close enough, you could pick up a ton of things. Like I remember if I could get the chance to sit beside him on the airplane when I finally got around to traveling, you know, I'd take the seat beside him and, you know, I would, you know, notice the, the book bag he had. You know, when, when did you take, when does he take his books out? And you know, what is he, what is he looking at? What's he writing down? What's he drinking on the plane? How much is he <laughs> sleeping when he's on the road? All those things. And, and then at the end of the season, you know, he's, he's the guy going up for all these awards and, and you see that, and you're like, man. So that's what it takes to, to get to that level. And it's uh, it's hard to describe because he didn't really say much, but he just commanded everybody to to be their best all the time in the gym. And, and you couldn't really argue with it because he was. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I was wondering what influenced your playing style or what you really enjoyed about volleyball. Because in speaking to people who got to watch you play a lot. Uh, they give you a lot of credit where Kenny Cron used to hit like a fake shoot into a meter ball. You guys were running some other offensive stuff. And the other thing that amazed me was uh, you get a lot of credit for being a, a setter who really liked to read the blockers. And what I mean by that is uh, apparently you would change your, your grip on the ball where sometimes you would deep dish or sometimes you would let it go early just to kind of mess with the timing, right? So was it the tactical part of volleyball that you really enjoyed or what kind of influenced your style of play? Yeah, well, I would think the uh, – yeah, I'd have to say the first – Part. Uh, for me, like I'm a, I'm a, a relational guy. So for me, the, the most important part, I think, was was being able to relate to uh, all of the guys that played the different positions and trying to figure out a little bit with each of those guys the things that they like to do uh, and then the things that maybe they wanted to try and then being able to to somehow figure out a way to work those things in, right? Like all those things that you just described started out as, yeah, it's kind of crazy ideas, right? Like, hey, maybe, maybe we can do that. And we picked that up a little bit from Garth, right? Because, I mean, this is a guy that there was literally nothing that he could not do on the volleyball court. And, and that sort of mindset, I think, rubbed off on a lot of the guys and rubbed off on me as a setter. And, some of the things that I that I wanted to try or that I wanted to create, uh, and yeah, those you know the different uh, hand position things, some of the deception things, just different just different ways of, of releasing the ball, right? Trying to be as creative as you could. And uh, later on, when I did join the national team, uh, Kent Greaves was another guy that was just outstanding at that. And I learned so much from him uh, at already at the national team level. Some of the things he could do, changing his hand positions, moving the ball around. You know, one hand, two hands, those types of things. And, um, but yeah, really, you know, it started with Garth and his, his ability to, to make you think that anything was kind of possible. And then once you try it once or twice and you think, yeah, maybe it can work, then you get a little bit more confident and you take a little bit more risk. And at that time, you know, go back to a bit of the scoring system, right? And if you miss, sometimes it wasn't a big deal because it wasn't always a point. So I think we might have had a little bit more leeway on some of those opportunities to try some stuff. But yeah, it was it was just kind of fun, right? And you know, that it all started from from that. I think you know, trying to figure out what other people like to do and, and how far they wanted to go and how can I best help them get there. Yeah, nice, definitely. So. With you having a goal of FISU, and as you mentioned, you had to attend senior to get there, did that kind of help bridge the gap when you were done with the CIS to go to the national team? Like, was there 
already comfortable with how the tryout was going to be run and you were in the gym with those guys or was there in your mind a big jump when you left cis to go to the national team yeah there was a there was a big jump um and i think it was again you know comes back to that kind of access to information right uh, now everybody at least has an opportunity to see uh high level volleyball right you can see a lot of international volleyball and at the time we were we were really kind of just going in blind almost. And um, I remember the first time we went, uh, we were up in Edmonton at the Norseka Championship and, you know, got to play uh, uh, the Cuba team. So Joel Despan and uh, a number of those Cuban legend guys, Raul Diago and uh, Sanchez and then Hernandez in the middle. And right as soon as you saw that, you're like, holy smokes, you realize how big the, the world of sport and how big the world of volleyball is and how big and physical all these athletes can be and, and that was right in my first probably five months of, of being on the team uh, and if I just back it up a little bit you know we did that tryout and we went to the Fushu Games which was in Japan that year and um, at that time a lot of the, the, the Fushu events were attended by European guys who were maybe not your typical you know 23 year old students but more like your 27 to 32 year old students so so we learned quite a bit uh, from those guys at a quote unquote university level competition and you realized really quickly how, how big and, uh, and I think just the depth of the of the field the depth of the competition that you know we were just sort of starting to scratch the surface of of how uh, how global the game is and how many good players there are and, and how many cool things that guys can do that you've never even thought of never mind attempted so um as long as you didn't get overwhelmed by that it was it was a pretty neat challenge to then say hey let's see if i can do some of that stuff yeah is there any advice you'd give to our younger listeners about that where you kind of stopped being starstruck and you became a peer and you became an opponent like it would i, I imagine walking into the gym for the first time you're going to feel it but what helped speed that up other than just like your, your experience over time? Yeah. Well, I think if you, if you understand that everybody's doing it for the same reasons, and I think that's the, the most important thing, you know, whether you're, you're playing in, you know, Brazil or you're playing in Japan or you're playing in Poland or wherever you're playing, you know, that, that, that everybody shares the same uh, passion for the game, and that the it's the it's the, the competition, right? That testing of yourself to be the best, uh, and constantly measuring yourself uh, is what sort of helped me not become so intimidated. Um, we were playing one of the first times we played in that world league. We were playing against the Spanish opposite Rafael Pascual, who's about six four, but probably well, not probably was the most well recognized guy in European volleyball at that time. I remember he uh, we played a match against him, exhibition game because that was one of the first tours that we did was uh, was in Spain after we played that Narcica, and we went to the warm up and he would he would sit on his side because at the time we didn't do this dynamic stretching right. We used to just sit hammer out a few static stretches before, <laughs> before the match. <laughs> So he would, uh, you know, everybody would sit on the old, on the floor, you know, the stretch circle on the floor, and his teammates would all face the middle, but he would sit at the center line, 
and he would stretch facing the other team. So he's, you know, imagine one of the best guys in the world, and he's facing our side and he's doing his whatever stretching, just staring us all down, and, you know, clearly trying to send the message. But, you know, then you watched him play, and, you know, uh, we played a few matches on that tour, and, and then you got to understand, okay, you know, like he's, yeah, he's doing what he's doing. And, yeah, he's trying to get in our head, but he just wants to be the best, right? And if you can, you can pick those uh, those subtle cues up and not measure yourself against them necessarily, but you know, realize you're when you get to that level of volleyball, right? That international level of volleyball, it's not so much of you know beating your opponent. It's it's kind of maintaining a standard of play, right? And if if both you hit that standard and your opponent hits that standard, it's it's going to be a, a fantastic game. You know, if I hit the standard and you don't, then it's probably going to go my way. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that I'm altogether better than you. It just means that I was, you know, a little bit better in, in that moment. Right? Did what needed to be done in that moment. And that was one of the things that uh, it took a little bit of time to develop. But if you have that in your mindset going forward, I think that uh, you know you're you're going to be okay. You'll be a little bit ahead of the game. Awesome. Definitely. Definitely. So with you being the team captain for six years and now coaching at the highest level, is there anything that you really valued as, as a team leader or any skills that you try to teach to the athletes you're working with now about uh, what it takes to be a captain and kind of the challenges that come with that role? Yeah, I think maybe one of the most, uh, I don't know if it's misunderstood or, or maybe it is, is, you know, when you are in that role that, uh, but when you when you do want to be in that leading role, that a large part of that is is uh, is listening, uh, you know, and, and finding out what everybody else is uh, a little bit like what I had, had said before. What got me interested in the position, but you know, figuring out what what makes everybody else tick, um, what their needs are, and you can get a lot done if you can be the guy that you know helps people figure out. Uh, where it is they want to go and, and, and help them meet their needs so that they're a little bit sad, a little bit maybe more satisfied in, in whatever uh, whatever their role is with the team. I think that would be the biggest advice is that, you know, leadership isn't necessarily, you know, seems a little cliche, you know, not, not what you say, it's what you do, but sometimes it's not even what you say, it's, you know, it, it's what do you hear, you know, and then once you hear it, what do you do with it? You know, how much time do you spend in trying to understand it? You know, how much time do you uh, put in to trying to understand the other person's perspective before you maybe make it make an action or, or, or decide the course that you're going to go? And it's those moments there that that I think really build uh, leadership within a group or, or leadership within a team and. Uh, like I, some of the more most valuable experiences I had was when I and I think I really started to develop this when I went over to play uh, to play in Europe and you know I was in some situations there obviously as the setter where, where people look towards you and um, early on in my career I was playing in places you know like Spain and in France where uh, I was playing with people whose first language wasn't English right and uh, some of them could speak very limited English and so you have to solve this problem of you know, you're you're expected to be a leader first of all because you're a foreign player, second of all because you're a setter. And, you know, you have to figure out how to meet the needs of, of these people without uh, with without maybe being able to hold a, 
a five-minute conversation with, maybe not even a two-minute conversation with, right? So that's where I really uh, learned about, you know, observing, you know, what, what makes this person tick? You know, what is this person after? And, you know, I figured out a bunch of different things, right? Some of the guys, they like the ball at the end of the match. You know, if there's an easy ball situation, if you can get this guy a bounce, let's say, <laughs> you know, then he's uh, he, he's going to do some good stuff for you. He's going to be involved in the match. And, um, and, and similarly, I, I learned about how, uh, you know, how being a leader involves seeing the other person's perspective. Some of these, uh, some of these guys come from, cultures or countries where you know they're not supposed to get along you know like we uh, i would play with a uh you know play with the guy that was you know like a, a serbian guy and a croatian guy right and i remember we were out uh, after a match just having a coffee and, you know these guys are teammates and, but you know they're in the country they're, they're not supposed to be friends right and all these different uh, just different elements of, of human interactions that i learned from being over there i think that's where i you know where i learned the most about those key leadership things Thank you for saying that. That's well said, because I was just thinking, like, in those tough moments, there's no perfect thing to say in a timeout, right? Where it sounds like you're putting in a lot of the work before time. So when those stressful moments hit, you can still have that honest communication, right? So is that what you would maybe encourage the younger athletes is just to be genuine about it and, and spend time with your teammates and kind of pay attention to who who wants to win drills in practice, who's competitive at the end? Like, does it, all those details come into it and, and kind of every, every time you're with your teammates? 100%. 100%. And I think the first time I saw that was I, uh, this is, so we, uh, we also played a fair bit against uh, BYU back in, uh, in the university days there. So guys, uh, there's actually some of those BYU teams. We had uh, Kevin Hambly, who's now the coach at Stanford. Hugh McCutcheon was on those teams. Uh, and Carl McGowan was the coach. And uh, so in some of these matches, and uh, I remember Carl was describing, you know, what he did before the matches and, and he would uh, uh, he would just observe he would observe what was going on on the other side of the net in the warm-up you know not to evaluate your skill level but you know he's he was uh, he said that you know he evaluates what's going on on the other side he watches the setter he watches the relationships he watches who you talk to and you know from figuring out who you who you talk to and who you trust you know that's gonna give you a little bit of light into what's going to happen in those moments in the game when it's tight. And I think if we kind of bring it all back around when I had said about, you know, our, our group there, if we go back to that kind of 95 team, you know, why was that group successful? And I think you could probably say the same thing about that Trinity group now. Like when you watch them play, like that Trinity group this year, like that's a tight group of guys. You know, when you watched our team play back in 95, like we were a tight group of guys. And everybody trusted the other guy. So you, you had that relationship stuff already established. And, you know, you never really had to worry about, you know, who's going to show up in the big moment. Um, because everybody everybody just knew that the other guy was, was going to do that. Right? So, yeah, I, I would agree with what you said there 100%. Just to switch gears a little bit, looking at, at your resume, uh, well-deserved that you're in the Manitoba Volleyball Hall of Fame, and we've talked about Garth a little bit, and with Eric Lepke being arguably the best player in the country right now, and just way ahead of where I think a lot of Canadians have been at his age, what would you credit Manitoba Volleyball for doing, for kind of or creating this generation of athletes that have been competitive for such a long time? Is it is it the coaching at the youth level? Is it access to programs? Like, Why is Manitoba in such a volleyball crazy province for so long? Well, I think... You know, we were 
we were really fortunate. I mean, if you, you traced it, you know, all, all back, you know, both the, the male and the, and the female side, I think, um, you know, because we're, we sit right in the, in the middle of the country and, you know, a little bit isolated maybe from, from some of the other influences that we were, um, that we were the beneficiaries of some, some really, some really, uh, solid coaches, you know, way, way back, right. In the, in the seventies, who kind of spawned a, a generation of, uh, of players who shared the same passion for the game. Um, like I'm not as familiar on the, on the female side, but, um, you know, with this being Garth's final year, we've had lots of conversations about it, and you know, you can kind of trace the the roots back to to him basically, and what he was able to accomplish uh, early on as a player, and when he came back, who he shared that information with, and and he put a lot of that passion uh, of the game into you know way back when, uh, like a, to use the word young, but you know, a, a young you know Larry McKay, right? He went on the lead. Uh, you know, University of Winnipeg there, right? And local guys, the local high school guys who, who played in the program and stayed here. And, and then they put that passion into, you know, kind of generation after generation. And it it, uh, it just kept building. And uh, I think it's a little bit of momentum that started way back then, you know, 30 plus years ago. And um, that sometimes happens with sport, right? If you get that right spark and that right catalyst you can just continue to carry that through and and i think that's where a lot of it comes from um you know the players that play you're not to say that other players don't have it but i think that was the one thing that that made it unique here is that everybody that, that played and that kind of made it really shared a, a passion and desire for the game to, to not only play it but then to go on and teach it afterwards Awesome. And I'm, I'm just looking at the clock here. You've given us a lot of time. I was hoping just to maybe get some national team stories out of you before we let you go. And one guy I want to start with is just uh, a fan favorite of the show. Do you have anything you can tell our listeners about Dustin Reed? Because he's been a big part of the Ontario community. I was wondering if you have any young Dustin Reed stories when you guys cross paths with the national team. <laughs> lots. Lots <laughs> and lots and lots. But uh... Yeah, so Dustin was, uh, I mean, first of all, you know, you talk about tremendous team guys, right? He's, uh, he, he's outstanding. Like, he was one of the best, uh, super welcoming guy, you know, worked hard, made everybody feel welcome. Um, so he and uh, Jason Alden used to have a, uh, all kinds of rivalries in practice, right? They're both, you know, super competitors, him and Jay and Paul, actually. But I think uh, there were some great battles in practice where, you know, Dustin was mostly on the defensive side uh, and guys like Jay and Paul were on the offensive side. But so there was this one, uh, we were we were warming up at the, on the national team here. And so at the time, Dustin was playing Libero and we were just doing the hitting warm-up, you know. So Dustin was kind of standing down the line there in uh, playing defense, Paul was uh, was hitting from the right side, so Dustin was down the line and won. So he was standing back there, we set the ball. Paul was having some fun with it, and he was just hammering the ball straight down and bouncing it over the top of Dustin. Right, and Dustin was standing there and standing there. So then, after a little while, he uh, he decides that you know I guess he's not going to you know have, have some fun and just run up and try to dig this straight down ball. And then the moment that he decided that he was going to run up and dig the straight down ball, Paul decided that he was just going to try to hit one deep at Dustin. So as Dustin's barreling up the line, Paul decides to hit it deep. And the uh, ball met face in a hurry, and Dustin was just laid out oh, flat. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 
as only uh, as only Dustin uh, could do. You just kind of shook it off for a quick second there and popped up like nothing was wrong. But I have, haven't seen guys get, haven't seen many guys get hit that hard. You know, not only was Paul hitting it 100 whatever kilometers in one direction, Dustin was running the other direction. And that was uh, that was that stopped the gym. That was priceless. Unbelievable! Oh man. <laughs> That, that's a great one. Thank you. Uh, and, and you just mentioned him there with, with uh, Durden, and, and we've kind of touched on it earlier with uh, the pre-social media era. Uh, if he was playing in this era, how famous would he be? Is he maybe Canada's best indoor player ever? Or was he was he that good? Yeah, I mean, at that time, he was he was right at the top, right? Like, you know, he was the guy they were, they were promoting uh, at the world events, uh, for sure, right? He was... He was top two, and I think had a couple of you know had a couple of uh, things maybe broken his way earlier, just professional contract wise. Uh, you know, he would have been you know like the uh, like the Chivo, right? I mean, if he was if he had played in Brazil or if he had played in Japan, right, he would be international star. But yeah, he was right right up at the top. Right, we had a uh, one game I mentioned uh, Pasquale, Rafa Pasquale before. He played one game in. in uh, uh, a worldly game in Spain, and the two of them, uh, I'd have to look at the numbers, I, but I mean, they were going toe to toe. They must have had about 50 kills each, and it was just a, a two man chill slugging back and forth. And yeah, he was he was the one guy that he was the one star we had, right? Wherever we went, he was, you know, he was in the program, he was on the marquee. Everybody, you know, everybody knew that he was he was one of the best around, and yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, you know, Garth was. Was legendary, and you know, but there's a lot of good guys. You know, when you get into that conversation of you know who was the best, but you know guys like Graton and Barrett and Garth and Paul. But I mean, they're definitely right, right up to the top there for sure. Awesome, and with you uh, having such a great career, what's made you want to kind of stick around? So we mentioned in your intro there that you were with the uh, senior women. Uh, you've been with our junior national team. You've, you have a full-time role with uh, Manitoba volleyball. What's made you want to dedicate your whole life to this after a great playing career? Well, I think it's um, it's a kind of eventual, you know, realization that uh, that the, the coaching part is is very similar uh, to the playing part, and that uh, there's a whole other area that you continue to, to learn about and, and try to test yourself to be better every day. And when I was uh, when I finished playing, or when I was getting close to the end of playing. Uh, you know, people, oh, you're just going to go and coach now? And I said, no, I don't think so. You know, I, I don't know what the, I don't know what the future is, but I don't think it's going to be uh, coaching because I've been in the gym for so long and I've done the same thing. And, and I think I, I just expected that coaching would be kind of a continuation of playing. And, uh, um, and it isn't. It's, uh, it's a whole different side of it. And, and it's actually uh, made me appreciate the, the playing side of it more now that I understand that the coaching side of it. Um, like I think almost every player thinks they know as much or more than the coach, right? right. <laughs> almost at, at any time. Um, you know, but when you start to, to really dig down into it and all the things that you can impact as a, as a coach, right, and, and how you can uh, help others uh, discover the things that, that you've discovered. And, uh, yeah, so for me, that's that's really what's kind of fueling the, the next uh, step here. And, um, yeah, it's, to me, I just have such a, such a great time uh, sharing all those experiences. And, you know, when I start thinking about it, I'm like, well, I never really planned to, to do all the things that I ended up doing, but you know, there must have been a reason why I, I was able, 
you know, I was fortunate enough and been able to experience all those things. And now when you start to, to look at all those experiences and then overlay it over, you know, some of the, the science and, uh, and the different coaching techniques and it, it, the picture kind of started to come together that you know, maybe that's, that's kind of the next step uh, for me. And, and I think it gives me a bit of a unique perspective to, to share some of these things. And, you know, the group that I was, I was uh, lucky enough, Volleyball Canada chose me to lead in, uh, in Egypt last year. We took that youth women's team to the World Championships. The uh, first time a youth team had been there, and my, it was over 20 years, actually. And, you know, to, to be there and see some of those uh, kind of familiar faces who have moved into administration roles. And, um, and then just to, to help, you know, these young players navigate their way through that and, and help them see what, could be possible. Uh, yeah, it's just equally as rewarding as anything I accomplished on the court. And uh, yeah, that's what, what motivates me now, uh, even in this job here, right? Like at Stoleville, Manitoba, you know, I've hopped in the gym with, you know, kids five, six, grade five, grade six. And now that I switched around, I pop in with the university gym, uh, you know, a couple times a week to my, my son's working there with Garth. And then in the summertime, I'm involved in these programs. And it's, uh, yeah, it's just so cool to be able to share uh, with such a variety of people. And uh, that just drives me to, to keep getting better and find better ways to do it. Awesome. Well, yeah, it sounds like you're a busy guy. And I want to really thank you for taking the time and sharing some great stories and talking about your career. So it's great to have you on. I feel like we're just getting the tip of the iceberg and we'll have to have you back on shortly. But this is this is a good start. And thanks again for making the time. Yeah, hey, no problem. And, and, and thank you. This is, uh, you know, I think it's awesome that... Uh, so many volleyball players now are able to to benefit from from the things that, that you're creating here with this podcast and the information and, and hear the stories and you know I think that's how you know learning what happened before is, is the foundation of building things great in the future. So yeah, I'd be uh, be happy to, to come back on and I'd love to love to talk about the game and yeah, and thanks to you for for all you guys are doing. It takes a lot of work to, to do what you do and put this together and it's uh, it's fantastic. You're doing a great a great service for the game in Canada. Awesome. Yeah, thanks. I really appreciate that, Scott. So thanks again. And uh, yeah, like I said, we'll have to be back on. But uh, for now, this is a great one. And hopefully we'll cross paths soon. Yep. Sounds good. Awesome. Thanks again. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for listening. If you've made it this far, you're clearly a friend of the show. As a friend of the show, we'd love to connect with you. Please follow Passing Dimes on Instagram. If you think we've earned it, please give us a five-star rating. We'd love to connect with you. Please leave a comment. That could be a good old-fashioned, this show is awesome. You should listen to it. You could ask for future guests, like if I were to leave a review right now, I'd say please get Sam Schachter, Melissa Himata-Paredes, or Stephen Marr. Or leave a question for a future guest, like who their volleyball role model was, or who's their favorite player to watch live. Most importantly, remember, the nicest compliment you can give Passing Dimes is by telling your friends about the show. Stay excellent, friends.